0: Hello and welcome to the Rogue Ministry Podcast. This is Justin Berenger, the Rogue Minister, and I'm here with my co-host. This is Rachel, the creator of Speech Strong Resources. And together we are co-founders of Diapers, Etc., and of course, host of the Rogue Ministry Podcast, Creating and Sustaining Faithful Ministries. All right, so this morning we're here with my friend Tanya of Kentucky. Uh, Tanya, I'd love it if you would just uh, start, and first of all, welcome to you, then I'd love it if you could start, just tell us a little bit about yourself, kind of what you do, how you got into it, what qualifies you to do it, those kind of things.
1: Okay, thank you. Well, I am Tanya Torp, and I am the Executive Director of Step-by-Step in Lexington, Kentucky, We work with young single moms. Um, The youngest mom has been the age of 12 in our program, and we've had more than one 12-year-old. And the oldest mom that comes to our program is usually around the age of 24. Um, So when we say young single moms, that's the kind of age range that we're talking about. And what we do is walk alongside of them to help empower them uh, with things that they want to do in their lives. What's really attractive about that for me is that they choose what they want to do it's not some entity telling them what's best for them it's them choosing so it's really true empowerment um and where they give all the feedback and tell us what they want um and so i have been the executive director for six years and um well i've been with the organization for six years i've been the executive director for three and um my role is a lot of being the face of the organization, doing a lot of speaking engagements out in the community, um, running the day-to-day in the office, and mm-hmm. working with other nonprofits throughout the community because we do nothing in a vacuum. We, we need to be able to collaborate with lots and lots of other nonprofits. I think we work with about 150 others. We serve about 200 moms and kids in Lexington, and when I started, we were serving about 40. And um, it is incredible work, co-laboring, um, and that's a little bit about me.
0: Wow, that's that's amazing to me because I I know back when you started that that you went from forty to to what do you say a hundred and something.
1: Yeah, started with forty, then we went up to like a hundred and something, hundred eighty, and now we're at two twenty, and maybe even more um, in twenty twenty. I'm assuming that we're gonna make the marks if we continue
0: in the fashion that we have. Yeah. Wow, that's that's crazy to me because I think to me now that I'm in in Dallas, Lexington like, seems like a small town. So that just you know doesn't seem like there'd be that many you know young moms there. Period. Let alone young moms that are looking for help and all of that. Right. That's, right. that's crazy. So wow, that's amazing. And you get involved in this specific ministry. Like what what drew you to it, and all of that kind of stuff. Oh, that's a great question. So
1: I was working for a large nonprofit um, that's international that basically um, goes into workplaces and asks them for money. And when they go into the workplaces and ask them for money, then the large nonprofit then goes and gives money to certain nonprofits in the community. And I was their community engagement coordinator out in the community just meeting with companies and nonprofits and trying to get people from companies to volunteer at the nonprofit and give money to this conglomerate. And I decided that I didn't really like the nonprofit model, and I wanted to do more direct service. I felt like I was doing a lot of please, please give, please, please give, Um, look at this great work over here, look at this great work over here, but I didn't know how much impact it was really making. And oftentimes people would get some of the grants that had huge government dollars coming in as well. And I wanted to make sure that the impact that I was making on my community was, like, local, more localized and more neighborhood-based or at least very grassroots community. Um, I, at the time, also was involved in some advocate advocacy work and some activism uh, around a lot of different issues, um, from mountaintop removal, coal mining in um, eastern Kentucky,
0: to mm-hmm. voter
1: rights um, for returning citizens, um, what other people might call former felons, but I call returning citizens, I was involved in a lot of that work and I was seeing a lot of good grassroots work where the people had the voice and the people were the ones that the ones that were affected were the ones kind of running things. And I that was very attractive to me, so I was looking for something like that. Um, and somebody mm-hmm. sent me an email one day out of the blue and said, this organization's hiring and I had never heard of step-by-step and didn't have any experience as a mom. I wasn't a mom. <laughs> I didn't have any real direct service experience except for doing those kind of activism things and working in churches. And so I said, um, okay, I'm going to give it a try. And uh,
0: three interviews later,
1: <laughs> they said, all right, I think you're it.
0: Great. And then you went from being, what was your original role there?
1: Yes, I was the program director, and so it was very daunting. It was a daunting path into an organization that was full of a lot of love that had been started by some women in the church who said, you know what, there's a need for loving on young moms. We don't see a lot of that happening in our community.
0: Yeah. And one of
1: them had grown up as a teen mom. She was 16 when she had her child, and she had walked into a church, and she looked very young. She looked younger than 16. So she walked into a church looking to try to find out who this Jesus was. The church people kind of shunned her and told her she was too young to be there and um, made her feel really ashamed. And so she remembered that feeling, wanted to give people a different kind of experience than that, that were young moms. And so her and her friends just, you know, some of them were stay-at-home moms and others were just working, in one was a nurse, and they just decided, We're going to start this thing. So they didn't have, like, social work background or anything like that. And so my role was to go and meet with young moms and find out what their needs were and then connect them uh, to our Thursday night meetings where we would pick them up, have a hot meal, have some child care, and do some Bible stuff and some life skills. And so that Mm -hmm. was my role to produce these, like, many conferences two times a month for moms. For young moms and to get them to really interact with one another and become community. So it was kind of pastoral in a way um, uh, as the program director. And then our uh, executive director at the time was working gratis 15 hours a week. And so when she retired, um, we got a great grant that allowed for me to come on as um, the executive director. So just kind of step by step, literally, <laughs> the Lord just moved us. <laughs>
0: So then, if if you were working in that that sort of role, first of all, how did things shift when you became executive director? And then, like, what kind of what kind of changes did you make, especially you know with some new grant money and new ideas and all that? Where where did you sort of take the program, or have you taken the program over these last few years?
1: Yeah, when I got there you know, one of the really interesting things, and I, I want to be very careful as I'm as, as I'm talking because the women who started this had incredible intentions and did incredible work mm-hmm. and kept this going for um, about 18 years before I got there, so wow. for a really long time. And I showed up, and one of the things that they said is, we we loved you because you said you don't want to shame young moms. You think that they should be honored and respected and it is for them to, and so, but what I realized is As the first year, I didn't change anything. I just watched what was done, and um, my theology got to come in (laughs) to to practice because one day day I was looking at their um, curriculum, and one of the knights said, princesses keep their panties on. Talk about purity. And I come from a world where I, I look at data. And I know that for my personal life, and I'm glad to say this on a podcast, for my personal life, uh purity worked for me in, in a lot mm-hmm. of ways, Um, but it doesn't work for everyone. And the data shows that when you just talk about purity only, it, it's, not, it's not working. And girls are still having unprotected sex and putting themselves yeah. at risk. I immediately was like, that's a very shaming message. Y'all don't want to be mm. shaming, but... Somebody who's a teenager having sex—that's kind of shaming. Not kind of; it really is. And so, yeah,
0: yeah, especially when they've already had a baby or are already pregnant, right?
1: Right, they're already having sex. So, <laughs> yeah, it's nice.
0: yeah,
1: it's, it's a good idea to let them know that there are a lot of different alternatives, including abstinence.
0: Mm-hmm. But
1: giving them a full array of Um, just love and letting them, for me, it was more about them setting really great goals for themselves because when you've got really great goals, you're not going to let anything get in your way if you're motivated. And so you're not going to put yourself at risk if you've got great goals. So I kind of did a shift with that and said, these are the kind of things I don't want to talk about anymore. And what I do want to talk about is what are they feeling? What are they experiencing? What's hard for them? Um, How can they be an answer to one another for example mm. it's unethical for me to babysit their kids <laughs> so I can't like be their babysitter when they have an emergency child care need but they can do that for one another so how yeah. can we connect them in ways that are going to be healthy um, and then the so that was one of the, the major shifts and then for me pouring into the volunteers became a way to expand the program And what I mean by that is our volunteer training when I first got there was an hour long. And it was like, we're going to meet these girls who have every trauma in the world. And you're inexperienced, but we're going to throw you in there and give you an hour. My background is uh, sociology. And my background is also, you know, at churches, seeing how things are done in some ways that are really great. And so I said, no, we've got ideas. Like, we've got to make this trauma-informed we're dealing with young women, because if a girl has a baby at 12, there's some situations going on. And um, so we had to be trauma-informed. So I changed all of the curriculum. We started doing really deep training and brought in social workers and brought in social theory. Um, We brought in, started talking about equity and structural racism. And Mm. a lot of the people that were volunteers, had not had any experience outside of their own experience, so they had never worked with girls of color or Mm -hmm. like girls in poverty if they didn't come from a poverty background. Mm -hmm. So we had to start to show people what equity looks like and what are some of the structural systems Mm -hmm. that keep these young moms where they're at, while also talking about personal choice. Personal choice is a part of it, but there are structural things that are keeping them um, in cycles. And so started bringing all of that. Into, into the practice of what we do. And um, volunteers started loving one another, and it's become kind of a small group. So mm. volunteers are pouring into one another as we pour into them, and then it's exponential. They're able to be more healthy with great boundaries, <laughs> and yeah. they love And so that those are some of the changes
0: that I made immediately. Could you give us a quick rundown of what what kind of goes into trauma-informed care?
1: Yeah, so... Understanding um, ACEs, adverse childhood experiences, and what, how that affects a person um, as they grow. So, for instance, um, an ACE might be uh, you've, you've had a parent lost to incarceration, and then you get another ACE, um, you move. Uh, and mm. our moms are often transient because so they, they can't afford yeah. the rent, got to move and move and move. So that becomes yet another thing that's against you. And many of us, most of us have ACEs. I would say all of us. I would argue that all of us have some sort of ACEs. But the more that you have, the um, higher the risks are that you take in your life, and that's statistically proven. So long-term effects of having a lot of ACEs are even things like heart disease or or risky sex and young Mm -hmm. childbirth. And so those kind of things really need to inform how we care for people, and so when you understand that someone has experienced trauma, and you need to set some boundaries, and you need to understand where they're coming from, and you understand that sociology and psychology play a part. No longer do you come in as a savior. You recognize that oh, she probably needs some therapy, <laughs> so you give other organizations and other resources for her um, if she wants them. You know, not everybody wants them, but saying hey, therapy does work and maybe you need some other coping skills. You begin to look at a mom who may be at risk for abusing her kid differently. You look at, hey, she needs skills, not, hey, she's a bad person. So trauma-informed really changes the lens through which you look at the people that you are blessed to be able to walk alongside.
0: I like that. I like that a lot. You're right. And I I think – I'll just give a shout out to anybody out there who's wanting to start ministries or join ministries or help ministries grow um get get some uh, information on trauma informed care. I think it might yeah. be one of the the absolute keys to to doing most ministries well. Um so you mentioned volunteers and that the kinds of training over the years. How do you go about finding, vetting You've already mentioned some about training, but how do you go about getting these volunteers and getting folks, you know, active?
1: Yeah, um, I think – so, first of all, one of the other things that I didn't mention when I talked about me is that I also do a lot of consulting. And um, I am a certified volunteer administrator. Um, So I teach uh, volunteer recruitment, volunteer management, um, those kinds of things as well. Um, And then I also teach workshops on racial equity and inclusion. Um For university yeah. and other folks, so I do a lot of that, so it helps that I have that background to bring into this work and so with volunteers, what's really important is to get the right people the first time screening <laughs> process for anyone we have a so we have a um, mentor program that we have developed since I have been with step by step, so we have a mentor program, and these moms meet an hour a week uh, with somebody from the community, with a woman from the community. Who is another touch point for her? That's not us. So, you know, oftentimes um, people who um, come to our program or people who just are in need of some extra services start to show up to a place where they feel loved and appreciated, and then Mm -hmm. they begin feel obligated to that place. And we Mm -hmm. don't want them to feel obligated to show up, just to show up, right? So we want them to have other people in the community that they know are touch points that are not staff members or people who they see regularly um, working with us. And so we mm-hmm. want them to have experience in community. And part of the problem with poverty as well is that it's about access. It's about not having access to people. Uh, every job that I've gotten was because I knew somebody who knew somebody who knew somebody. And in poverty, you don't usually have those, those touch points. And so having this, this mentor program really helps a lot with that. And so – um, when we look for mentors, we do an in-person screening with them. They go online and they fill out our application and tell us why they want to mentor. And then we have to ask them some really good questions about motivation, too, because what is somebody who's coming in to save someone? Mm. We're very careful to say the mom is the one who's in charge of this relationship and you will, you will grow together. But if she has boundaries that she doesn't want you to ask certain questions or do certain things. You're not here to save her. You're here to walk alongside of her. And so when people come in and that's not the way that they that their mind works, we know that they're not going to be a good fit. Um, we also look for people who have flexibility um, because this population is often transient. And you think about um, teenagers. I love and respect teenagers and think that they can do Anything and that a lot of them have a lot of maturity, but oftentimes they don't call you back, or maybe they don't show up. Um, and so, somebody who's going to have some flexibility and some longevity to know, okay, it's not me that she when she doesn't respond to my text, it's not me. It's it's really about something that she might be going through, and to not take it personally. So we and we can train some of that, but some of that is kind of innate. So we have that kind of process where they. They're online, they're filling out an application, and then we meet with them and determine whether or not they're going to be a great fit. Um, For other roles, like working with our children, we have a lot of actual um, community volunteers that come from the local university. So we screen all of them as well. They take um, a training that um, we talk about trauma with our kids too. So if you come in and you're doing child care and you're doing infant care for us, you're holding babies. We still want you to know about trauma because babies can experience trauma too. We're mandatory reporters, so we tell them what to look for. What does a cigarette burn look like on a baby and those kind of things so that um, we are aware. Uh, So we use a lot of college students, and the college students are wonderful because they say it is a stress reliever for them to come and hold babies and play the kids. Yeah, so, but our volunteer program is really um, important because it's so huge. We have about 150 volunteers working with those 220 families. You know.
0: I like um, that ratio.
1: Yeah, it's pretty incredible. And, the one to one. Yeah, and our staff is very small.
0: We have two mm-hmm. full
1: time staff. Wow. Uh, three part time staff. And then we have two moms that also work for us that are paid in other ways. So in um, mm-hmm. Kentucky, it's called KCAP, which is what people would refer to as welfare, um, which is only about $235 a month. But they have to volunteer in order to get that assistance. Our mom um, in our program uh, comes into the office, and we are her volunteer site. And then another one is in college at the University of Kentucky, and she is a um, federal work-study. Student, and so the work study pays her to work for us. It's nice to have them in the office because they inform a lot of what we do.
0: I love that the way that we talked about this when I was taking hospitality class many years ago was folks who move from guest roles to host roles. Um, While that language, you know, isn't always perfect, I think there's something to that when when folks come in the bar actively involved in providing and helping and doing for others. I think that's that's a really an amazing transition to allow folks to go through. And I feel like it's super empowering. Um, so I think that's great that you have some of these, some of the moms that you work with are getting to actually work with you and be at the table and make decisions and all that different kind of stuff. I think that's great.
1: So we have a – we started a a development program, a leadership development program for our moms that are either graduating or close to graduating our program, and these moms um, are our advisory board and tell us what it is that they want to see more of, but they also are leaders in our program. We pay them money. It's really amazing. Um, we had to get some – we don't work on a lot of grants because it's rarely do we get grants for what we do, but it's a lot of going to different donors and saying, hey, we've got this program. Can you help out with this individual donors, But we decided that paying them for their time, um, they're giving of their time, and they are doing a great job, and it's like a job, so we want to make sure that we pay them. So these young women on our Thursday nights, now we do every Thursday night we work in our program – these young women are our leaders, and so um, they lead small groups, um, which we call support groups. Um, and they also are responsible for welcoming all the guests. So they're at the front door when new moms walk in. The first thing they see mm-hmm. is these other moms smiling at them, and welcoming them. Um, they will take moms back to the back and show them where their kids get dropped off. They will help introduce guests. They'll go on speaking engagements with me, and our program director. So they do a lot of great work and so we compensate them for their work.
0: So do y'all do y'all have um an office space?
1: Yeah, so we do we so we have partnered with a local church in order to have our program and this local church okay. um, Emmanuel Baptist Church and like Yeah, I know I know them. Yeah, they have given us free space Thursday night for about twenty four years. Um, so are great partner. They also provide paper products for us so that when people bring meals, um, because that's not part of our budget, we actually include community members to bring us the meals every Thursday night so that moms and kids have hot meal. They provide the plates and napkins and all of that for us as well, which is really Fantastic. Um, so we have this space that's built in for the child care. So we don't have to set up a child care every time we go to a gym or something. We are in a space where child care is already there. And so we just train the, the staff to fill in the yeah. Um That is how we get so many moms to our program because child care is an issue and transportation. Oh, yeah. Is an issue. We knock that out. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then we have an office space that. A donor out of the blue uh, just this year. We've been praying for an office space for like 20 years. Um, <laughs> and um, we went from 800 square foot, small, tiny office to 2,100 square feet. in it's a center now with a built-in prayer and therapy room, uh, as well as um, office space and a space for moms to come in and use the computer, uh, look for classes, find jobs, those kind of things it's a real true center and then there's a child care area where we'll have volunteers watch the kids while moms are in therapy or while moms are looking for jobs or finishing classes or those kinds of things.
0: Bro, I might have to get a tour of this uh this new facility. That sounds fantastic. You got to come
1: through. You got to come
0: through. I'm excited for y'all. That is that is so great.
1: Yeah. And what, what a,
0: yeah. Go yeah. ahead.
1: Our budget is only two hundred thirty
0: thousand dollars a year. That, means- that was what I was going to ask actually. Yeah. So that's amazing because because the work that you're doing isn't it, not just only that you're serving such a large number of people ongoing for for I assume for some of these young ladies for many years, and you're doing that off of really in in, in the nonprofit world. That's a that's a very small budget if if folks don't know. Um, So I think that's that's really unbelievable.
1: And I do Um, want to say something about that as well, especially for your audience um, to think about. Um, Myself, and I call my staff my co-laborers because they work just as hard, if not sometimes harder than I do, and they have taken ownership of this place, and they love this place, and they're here for a reason Mm -hmm. and a purpose, but all of us do not have benefits. That is a a reality in the nonprofit world that needs to cease, and so Mm -hmm. my goal is to make sure that they have benefits, and so I pay out of pocket myself um, Mm and my other full-time folks. Um, One of them is on her husband's insurance, and the other one is still on her parents' insurance, and that's not sustainable. If we want to continue mm. to grow and be a resource to this community, the people who um, facilitate the programming need to be taken care of. And for
0: me, that's shameful oh. that we don't have benefits. No, that's a good word. That's a really good word. I, I used to sort of joke, but it's true, that if, if you work with poor folks, then, then you live like poor folks. And, and you know, for, there, there's some there's some advantages that in terms yeah. of connecting, but also... That's realities that sometimes means it takes away from what you're able to do.
1: I mean, listen, if I'm fighting for a living wage for my yeah. mom, if I'm going to go to the Capitol and say I think that's important for my mom uh, to be able to, they don't want to be on assistance and the only way for that to happen is for them to have good jobs, um, I have to have a fight for that for my uh, co-laborers as well. So, so Absolutely. My staff deserve that. We have also created a culture of self-care here I mm, that I've always wanted to work in. Um, and so for the holidays, we just shut down and everybody gets paid. We just shut down for two weeks because they work hard all year and they deserve to be with their families and to get a reset because this is like secondary trauma is real. Um, experiencing and with the work that we've done, we have seen um, babies pass away and mm-hmm. provide funeral services for those babies that we loved. We have seen moms that are in abusive relationships show up with black eyes and all mm-hmm. kinds of things, and we've gone into their homes. It's part of what we do is we go into their home and sit with them in their space while they set mm-hmm. their goals, and we've just seen all kinds of trauma. And so folks who do this kind of work deserve to have a space where it's about self-care. And so... Um, we do things like Galantine's Day is coming up. We're gonna shut the office down for a couple of hours and have a party just for us. We mm-hmm. uh at the holidays during Christmas time we had a party shut this whole place down for a whole day. We bought pajamas exactly alike and we had a pajama party. Uh so <laughs> we, we do things that um lift us up too. We pray and fast together. Yeah. Um, we pray for one another. Um, we're very tight and um it's I've been um, not really criticized, but just has been questioned about how can you be so close to your staff and still be the boss. And yeah. I know when I need to be the boss, or the leader that they need, but I hired the right people to do their job. I don't need to micromanage them, and they do their job well. Uh, just like I said about volunteers, getting the right volunteer to begin with, yeah, I got the right staff. I got the right collaborators, and they know what they're yeah. doing, and I trust them. But if they need to take a day off, then they need to take a day off, and they're going to come back yeah. to the job. Yeah, that's important yeah. for this kind of work, and just for a small mm-hmm. nonprofit with a big impact, like, who runs the program? It's your, it's your staff, it's your co-laborers, and they have to be fed and cared for if you want your uh, organization to be successful.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So, somewhat along these lines, we've already talked about trauma-informed care, and, you know, there's all sorts of words that float around in, in the community first, or social enterprise, or so many, you know, different kinds of things, and there's different approaches and whatnot. So i would kind of wondering what other sort of, I don't know, techniques or approaches that y'all um, bring into your work that you found to be uh, especially effective to what you're doing.
1: Yeah, I think um, this is a great question. So trauma-informed care is awesome, and we will always do that. But I think the latest things that I've been reading um, are healing-informed care as well. So we really are about the complete healing of the whole person. So we talk a lot about um, mindfulness. So we had a whole section Mm. where we brought in therapists on Thursday night that taught mindfulness techniques and things of that nature um, to the moms and the kids. Like those kind of things are really important to um, bolster uh, the self-esteem of people, but also give them actual skills that they can use in their life. Um, mm-hmm. Another thing that um, we are using is we stay informed, and we read a lot, <laughs> and we are involved in um, just following what's going on locally, and I think that's important. So the biggest thing that's happening in Lexington, Kentucky right now, and across our country, is a crisis of affordable housing. We are strong advocates for affordable housing, and um, we have so much on our plates, and we are not politicians, but we believe that we have to be in those spaces to tell people this is what young single moms and their children are living through because our city can't figure out affordable housing. So they're living with boyfriends who are abusive because they have nowhere else to go. They're staying in abandoned properties. They're going from house to house to house with their children. Got a mom who's moved at least 19 times this year, like uh, in the last in the last you know year, 12 months, and so um, those kind of things not only affect the moms and our program, but it affects us as a society. It affects how Mm much, how long they stay on um, uh, benefits. It affects like the working conditions. It affects the jail population. Affects policing. Mm -hmm. It affects everything. Um, It affects their health and and health statistics and all of those things. And so we try to stay abreast of those things and be at tables that talk about those kinds of things as well. Um, So that's one uh, tactic that we use. We love the social entrepreneur kind of track, but when you're so small like us, we just – don't know if that's a foray that we want to go into. So we have been exploring that. And one of the things that we're really interested in is how can we use this space that we've been given to actually provide some sort of employment for our moms that is a living wage. And what I mean by that is like $15, $16 an hour to to live where they need to live. And how do we find those partnerships? So that is something that we're working on right now is like we have this extra space now. Is there some sort of enterprise that they can do in the office, that call center or something is one of the things we're exploring, um, that can employ them, truly employ them, um, so that they can do the things that they need to do in their lives um, and provide for their kids in the ways that they really want to? Um, So that's a tactic. Um, And then, as I mentioned before, we do nothing in a vacuum. We have to have to have to partner with other people. We don't have the money, not to right. Um, we have resources And so, my one of my tactics is making relationships with other nonprofits because we have to do that. We have to be there for one another. I've got a we've got, we work with one that's called the Nest Center for Women, Children, and Families. Oh,
0: love the Nest. The love nest the
1: Nest. And so they provide all kinds of services from anger management classes to parenting classes, but also emergency things like diapers and wipes and those mm-hmm. types of things. So people will call our office and say, hey, I've got this, um, some diapers and wipes I want to drop off. And we say, no, the NEST does that. That's what they do. We, are, yes. we know that the moms are capable of getting there. Um, don't bring us that kind of stuff. The NEST is who needs that. And so yep. making sure that we are lifting up other nonprofits at the same time as uh, people calling us. There have been times where I've said, yes, we want your money, and you also need to give to the (laughs) 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 network. So um, that kind of thing. Um, And then that, that whole empowerment is another tactic that I think is just really good. It's like having the people that are directly affected by the issues that you're trying to help solve be a part of the process. Be a part of what you're doing. Um, That's huge. And then something new that, I know this is a long answer, but something new that we decided to do is we need data. Like, we just need it. And for about, right before I got here, um, this organization didn't collect a lot of data. When I showed up, I come from a place where data is everything. It's king. And so um, we have started working with the university, um, a couple of Ph.D. programs, To get more data. One of them Mm -hmm. is um, a public health program. And Dr. Corinne Williams is working with us on making sure that our program is evidence based. And um, we're working with a PhD in psychology to make sure that we're hitting all the points that we need to be hitting to make sure that moms have healthy um, self-esteem, but also uh, mental health. And so those are, it's important with Mm -hmm. us to collaborate with folks who know what they're doing in those areas too. Because it makes for a stronger organization and for stronger moms. Honestly,
0: yeah, I want to reiterate that point as an academic. But if it university nearby, then you have probably a, a mess load of resources because all of these university students are looking for places to, you know, hone their craft to 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 you know work on their their experiments and their documentation skills and all of the different kinds of things that they're doing and so they're they're looking for nonprofits often to do that and so if you can approach them a student has the skill set um, that you're looking for absolutely I say th- and and usually I, I mean usually it's free um, so you can go to them and say here's what I need and they're doing it for school credit they can help you figure out you know like you said whatever kind of data it is that you need or whatever kind of skill set your staff and volunteers might need, all these different kind of things. So I just want to reiterate that if you are near a university, take advantage of the resources um, there. In fact, that's, um, that's exactly how we got our diaper bank started here was our local university. They gave me money and said, go off and start this thing. So Yes. I just want to reiterate that. That's a good word.
1: I live in a city that is not a lot, not really diverse. <laughs> um, and I there's over 1,900 nonprofits, and there are about at this point probably 10 headed up by people of color. So I am one of the few women of color leading mm. an, an organization, and it yeah. is quite difficult. Um, so as you're talking about getting into universities, and also even talking about donors being in those circles, sometimes at the university you got to know somebody to know somebody. It took me six years mm-hmm. mm-hmm. to find me who takes seriously. And so I want to just give a caution to people. And it doesn't, uh, for others, it's not necessarily about race or class. Um, it is hard sometimes to break in. So I want to give that word of caution. But I'll be somebody that's listening that's a part of a university or a learning institution that knows that there are resources on campus that can work with a nonprofit to go out and seek them out and don't seek out the big ones that are already fully funded. Seek out those that are doing really good work that are smaller, that don't have a lot of money because we need that help. And I've been knocking on doors for six years till I finally found one that opened.
0: Uh, yes, that's a good word. And I think, um from the from the university side i would say you know it's often not going directly to the directors of programs or the the professors but but trying to find students and starting there or starting with with you know i've found in in my experience in academia administrative assistants are more powerful
1: Yes. Yeah. Yeah, be nice to the secretaries. Be nice to the administrative assistants. Yeah, They're the ones that have the power to get you in the door. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I I, I visit my uh, my advisor and my the the administrative assistant of our program weekly because I know that they both have just as much power, uh, even though they have very different positions. I know they have just as much power uh, in terms of me <laughs> finishing and not so always the easiest to connect so so people should be persistent because it's it's probably going to be worth it in the long run if they can if they can get a hold of those resources and this is justin Beringer, the rogue minister signing off with my co-host rachel at speech strong resources And go check out our show notes, and if you are listening on Apple Podcasts, leave us a review and comment. You can also submit questions, reviews, and comments on our Facebook page. And as always, be faithful to that which you have been called.